Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Today, my guest is a very dear friend and mentor of mine, Mrs. Tizela Fantan. Mrs. Fantan is a consultant and an executive director serving on several boards. But more importantly, she's a retired seasoned human resource professional with more than 25 years experience in different aspects of human resource management. She headed the Debswana HR function, but more importantly, she also coordinated the group's HIV AIDS strategy. Later on, she headed a public-private partnership, the Africa Comprehensive HIV AIDS Partnership, otherwise known as ACHA. Mrs. Fantan, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you very much, Sheila. It's a pleasure for me to participate in this podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. That's lovely. What I thought we would do, Mrs. Fantan, because not everybody is familiar with uh, the Debswana HIV AIDS uh, program of the 1990s. What I thought we'd do is just start there with you telling us what it was and uh, what it was intended to achieve. Okay. The HIV AIDS program in Debswana uh, started really way back in the early 80s when we began to see cases of um, HIV in the mine hospitals. We started off uh, by developing in 1994, the first HIV AIDS policy. And then I went on to initiate the first company-wide HIV prevalence survey, and that was in 1999. I then led the development of the first Debswana HIV AIDS strategy in 2000. Then in 2001, I spearheaded and led the project team for the introduction of ARVs for employees and their spouses. I then initiated and led the establishment of an art trust fund. An art trust fund is really the trust fund that ensured sustainability of treatment for the Debswana employees at a time when the drugs were very, very expensive. All this work has been recorded and published in the UNAIDS Best Practice Series in 2002. It was co-authored by Alan Whiteside, who I think many people know in the field of HIV AIDS, Tony Bennett, and a colleague of mine called Becky Zella. So that was the program. So the, the objective of the program and its scope was to reduce the impact of HIV AIDS on employees, their families, and the company through the prevention of new infections, the care and support of those who are infected, and basically the containment of cost. So that's the extent of the scope of that program and what it was. So the main objective to reduce the impact of AIDS on employees and on the company. So uh, you've said a mouthful. First of all, you've said ARV. What is that? I mean, for somebody uh, who's outside, uh, the HIV AIDS uh, pandemic uh, containment, what does ARV mean? ARV are the drugs that we use for treatment. That's what they are called in the field, ARVs. So uh, antiretroviral, you... sorry, you wanted me to explain what it was, Anti, antiretroviral. That's what, that's what that term means. So when yeah. Debswana undertook this, did Debswana uh, carry this out on uh, the company's own or was there any involvement on the part of government? Initially, 
all this was initiated by the company. You know, we must remember that the company played a very important role with respect to um, the, the government uh, resources. Um, you know, the revenue, the, the significant revenue came from Debswana. And therefore, Debswana could not wait and watch um, employees either, you know, lack of productivity as a result of people falling sick or people dying. So this was something that was initiated primarily by Debswana for Debswana employees and their spouses. So when you reflect on the program, what do you think was uh, the Debswana HIV AIDS program's uh, main achievements? And, and how were these achievements different from other uh, corporate social responsibility initiatives that Debswana had been undertaking previously? Wow. You know, the other initiatives that Debswana undertook, uh, well, let me say that uh, generally speaking, this program was not viewed in the same light as the CS, CSR initiatives that uh, Debswana undertook. Uh, it wasn't a CSR initiative in as far as it was contributing to social goals of a philanthropic or charitable nature. It wasn't that type of program. This type of program was defined by Debswana as a strategic business issue in order to reduce the impact on employees and their families and to contain costs. So it, it was very different from that point of view. The, as I've said earlier, the status of Debswana as a significant revenue earner for government meant that the company could not accept interruptions of the operations as a result of HIV sickness or death. Debswana also recognized that uh, communities are much more effective in changing and sustaining the types of behaviors that are required for HIV prevention and therefore the need to base these prevention interventions within the community. And um, while communities around the operations could have been where Debswana perhaps uh, drew uh, a line and said, we go here, uh, the need to collaborate with other state stakeholders and to support the national interventions was something that Debswana deemed very, very important. So basically to answer your question, this program was seen as very, very different. It was a strategic business issue. It was not seen as CSR in terms of um, contributing to societal goals in a philanthropic or um, philanthropic or a charitable nature. It was seen very, very differently. Yes, I, I can imagine uh, that uh, some of the employees who were vulnerable were also former recipients of the Debswana scholarship, which your team also managed. So in some way, I suppose, preventing loss of life, quite apart from uh, you know, avoiding loss of production on the mines, meant that you would have been saving people on whom you had invested. Would that be right? Absolutely. And as I said, you know, prevention started way back in the early 80s. When we now came to the decision to have a strategy of saving lives, as you've rightly put it, we were actually saving the investment that we had already put into people. And it wasn't just about the investment of the scholarship graduate 
Remember that Debswana had an extensive training program of apprentices, of even lower level employees, mining operators, who are very critical to the success of a mining operation. It was all those people that Debswana had actually invested in. We invested in everyone in terms of on-the-job training that we did all the time. So yes, absolutely. So um, when we speak about uh, the, the program uh, now, it seems logical a company uh, would invest in its people, a government would invest in its people. But of course, it wasn't always like that, was it? When HIV AIDS first came out, different countries took a different view. And, and so from your perspective, based on your experience, how important do you think political leadership is in creating the, uh, the right environment in which companies, and for that matter, public institutions can respond to a, a, a pandemic? How critical in Botswana's case was political leadership in encouraging this groundswell of response through Debswana and other companies? <laughs> It was extremely important. And we were very fortunate at the time to have had a president like Refestas Mohai, uh, who demonstrated the importance of this political leadership as the head of state. When political leaders, leaders are truly committed and not just compliant, it is a great enabler without which a lot of the programs fall on the ground. They fall on their faces. Political leadership, for example, will create a conducive environment for all stakeholders to participate both in prevention and in sustenance of people's lives. They will release resources to enable access to health services for communities, for young people, and many others that actually require access to health services. You know that in a country like Botswana, which is very vast, uh, we don't always have the level of uh, health facility that you might find in the city. When you have political leadership, they enable even through the smallest uh, health posts to ensure that uh, everyone gets it. And I guess in a way, the political environment and enabling can also happen through legislation and national policy. And we saw a lot of this happen in Botswana because Remokai was one of these political leaders who really led from the front and was truly committed and not just compliant, like you might find in some areas, people comply because it is required, but they are not deep inside committed. So you remind me that, uh, of course, the two large minds of Janine, uh, and ORAPA have uh, very sizable hospitals uh, that uh, have in the region, including South Africa, been very highly ranked in terms of their resourcefulness, capacity, and level of equipment, et cetera. What role did these uh, hospitals play in first the Debswana Mine Initiative and then, where possible, the National HIV Pandemic? initiatives? The Debswana Disease Management Program, as we, 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 we called it, and this is the strategy of uh, treating employees, uh, was fully funded by the Debswana Mining Company. It was fully funded in as far as we had, you know, we have our own hospitals to do this, the staff and everyone. 
but we also empowered, we identified a number of private sectors in other parts of the country where the company did not run these huge hospitals. You know, in those days we had a farm uh, in Pandamatenga. So we identified a doctor in Kastani. Uh, there was the Murutule Colliery where we didn't have a hospital. We identified doctors in Palape. We had the BS prospecting in Lobati where we didn't have a hospital. So we identified a, a number of doctors who would treat our own employees who were working there. So Debswana funded this fully um, using the doctors in our hospitals. In addition to that, these doctors, you know, the non-Debswana doctors uh, were actually trained by Debswana. We had a collaboration with a, an, an outfit in Cape Town called Aid for AIDS. And um, they were really upfront. Uh, they were really the forefront in providing HIV AIDS treatment. So we collaborated with them to do this annual medical uh, training for our doctors on the hospitals. And we invited these uh, private doctors that we collaborated with. When we approached government in 2002 to see if their MASA program can be rolled out through the Debsona hospitals, of course, that collaboration meant, the collaboration and partnership meant that the government program, it was called MASA, was delivered at the mine hospital where the company's contribution was its medical infrastructure and medical staff, and the government provided drugs to enable the communities around us, the non-Debswana employees, to access this treatment. Furthermore, what government also provided was the training. Their training at that time, I think, was called ITO. Um, so they enabled our medical staff together with government medical staff to actually benefit from this training, which uh, was delivered by a partnership that government had with them. Um, I think it was with Harvard University at the time. I think I'm not quite uh, can't recall, but I think that's what it was. So it was partnerships all around. So when I listen to you, I'm reminded of um, a, a certain prevailing view, uh, actually two of them. One, which presupposes that if you bring the BS and the government of Botswana, you have a partner of unequals where the BS has the better of the government of Botswana. The other cynical view is that mining companies come and they do nothing. It's all about themselves. And yet when, when I listen to you narrate the level of uh, collaboration and the level of uh, support between the government and the BS, I see a different picture. I wonder uh, what you say to people, at least in the context of this particular program, when people express the view that uh, you know, the partnership is unequal and that uh, DBS in perpetuity has the better of the government of Botswana. Mm. I think that um, sometimes these are unfortunate generalizations regarding perhaps the attitude of a, a partner like DBS coming to other countries. And while I cannot speak for other mining companies or other um, countries, I would say that the inequality of the partnership, in my view, is perhaps technical in our view, in my view with regard to DBS. The inequality was technical. DBS had run mines in South Africa for many, many years. Our government needed the expertise of DBS to run profitable mines. 
But in terms of the partnership, I think everybody knows that this was a 50-50 partnership. And in terms of profit, that in fact, government profited more. Now, when we, when we talk about an equal partnership and we talk perhaps about this criticism that uh, alleges that uh, the industry does more harm than good in a host country, I think this is what some, some people say. My experience is that Debswana has done much more good than harm to Botswana. And I can only speak about Botswana because this is where I have loads of experience. Directly, um, I think this partnership um, assisted in the human resource development through the provision of primary education, as well as the scholarship program and the apprenticeship program. I think this is direct human resource development. We had improved and sustained the health and of the nation through these hospitals that the, the company was able to build. I've just explained how we collaborated with government to provide a government um, uh, program through the Debswana Hospital. So that is a plus in my view. Now, indirectly, I guess, through the profits that accrue to government, which go into infrastructural development, the building of roads, schools, hospitals, housing, and so forth, and the government's own human resources development and education, as well as health. Because once they get the profits, of course, these profits are the ones they plow back to develop roads and services. So I would say that the, that the perception is actually from Debswana and DBS and from Botswana's perspective, I think it's totally incorrect and an unfortunate generalization. Sure. So let's, uh, you mentioned earlier when you introduced uh, the program that later on you created a trust fund to ensure mm. sustainability. Could you yes. speak a little about one, what uh, the purpose of the trust fund is and how, in your view, that would ensure sustainability? Okay. At the time that we created this fund, right at the beginning, I think that the drugs were a were pretty expensive. If I recall, uh, to actually buy these drugs directly, we would have been, I think the company would, it would cost the company about 11% of the wage bill. Now, 11% of the wage bill is quite hefty, I would say. And um, the need for the trust fund was to ensure that money is put aside for treatment as people need it. And as we know and understand the HIV uh, uh, AIDS, uh, the disease itself, at the beginning, the money would approve, there would be little going out because the pro, the, I mean, the, 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 the treatment gets heavier. In other words, you need much more drugs uh, towards the end. So this is how it was going to ensure sustainability that the company would have been putting aside, I think the amount was something like 1% uh, or 0.1%, I cannot recall, I'm sorry about this one, uh, putting it aside into the trust fund to make sure that as people needed more treatment, there was money available. Of course, the price of drugs uh, later on dropped and I'm not sure what Debswana did, uh, whether they continued uh, at the same level of funding or whether that was reduced, but that was the reason for it. The drugs were extremely expensive. You needed to have money put aside for when you had more people needing the drug. Uh, speaking of uh, more people, 
Uh, we started off by saying the Debswana HIV AIDS or uh, disease prevention strategy, as it was subsequently called, mm. was really a business decision. Yeah. Uh, and yet you also mentioned that you availed treatment to employees and spouses. Yes. Can you square that up for us? Uh, yes. I mean, simplistically, one would think if you're concerned only about your business uh, end of the strategy, you would focus on the people that work for you and leave the families. Yes. Why the family? Yes. The importance of the spouse, and I want to say spouse, um, is that the nature of HIV is that it is transmitted sexually. So there's no way that you say, I will treat my employee and forget about the spouse with whom they, they have sex, simply speaking. That was the reason for that. Otherwise, you'd have been working backward. The children and others in the family were, of course, now catered for by government because you had the MASA program that government uh, um, introduced at a later stage. But the reason for including the spouse was because of the nature of the program, the, the nature of the, 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 the virus, rather. So uh, I, I recall that uh, you also worked for uh, the Gates Foundation and MAC initiative. Could you tell the audience how this came about and how uh, it, were, it was integrated into either the Botswana or National HIV AIDS initiative? Yes. The, I was headhunted by the organization here in Botswana that was called um, ACHAP. One day when the, the American part of the, the, the company, the board, was here for a meeting, I was invited for an interview. And I think that the reason they knew about me was that this work that I was doing at Botswana was, I think, well publicized. I've already said that in 2002, the work was publicized in the UNAIDS best practice series. Um, one of the board members that I spoke to told me that they had listened to my interview on CNN. So that's how they got to know me. Okay. Now, the Gates, the Gates Foundation partnership with Merck had pledged 100,000 uh, US dollars in 1999, towards the end of 1999, to Botswana. And this amount of money was going to be given to Botswana over a five-year period for prevention and treatment of HIV AIDS in Botswana. When I joined them in 2003, I think it was towards the end of 2003, the way that this money was being dispersed was through central government. So basically, the support that the, the, the ACHAP was given to government was that the money was just dispersed through central government. We looked at this and felt that there, there's no way we can make an impact when we do everything through central government, uh, that perhaps for more impact, uh, we should go directly to where the help is needed. So we identified seven districts uh, and we felt that by identifying seven districts and going direct, um, we would have greater impact. And I'm glad to say that um, this strategy that I developed um, was accepted by government. And so ACHAP ended up supporting directly seven districts. And the support was by way of drugs. It was by way of these um, 
centers, you know, we bought a number of caravans because you would go in a place, for example, like Silivi Pique or Palape, um, where there was just no space in the hospital to deal with the HIV AIDS. So we bought these huge uh, pack homes or, or caravans where we would work from, from, they were called ICC centers, I think they were. So we were also in a part of the, the support also meant that we were uh, capacitating, capacity building of the staff that were working with HIV and AIDS. So that's how it got integrated into the government system. So when I, I think about uh, uh, HIV AIDS, I, I can't help but uh, reflect on the current pandemic, uh, which is the uh, COVID-19. When you think about it, what do you think could be learned from the experiences uh, of uh, HIV AIDS that may have application today in helping us counter the negative uh, effects of COVID-19, both at company and at country level? Mm. There's a lot of lessons to be learned with um, from HIV AIDS. The only difference that we have is the nature of the virus. This virus is a very new epidemic, which was spread very quickly from the source in, in Wuhan to the rest of the world. I mean, it spread like wildfire and we are all learning as we go along. <clears throat> so it doesn't give us time like HIV gave us time in Botswana to learn perhaps from experiences in the US with respect to the disease itself, the evolution of the disease. Because of the nature of the, the virus and the way that the, it is spread, the government had to take the lead in controlling the spread by imposing a state of emergency. And in doing so, I think that the private sector partners were not engaged at the beginning. They were not engaged at the time that perhaps we could all have been engaged. I mean, I recall that even testing was supposed to only be done at the government reference laboratory. Uh, and then it's only later on that um, a private laboratory was um, accredited last year. Uh, this centralized knowledge and expertise of treatment, testing and treatment in government, instead of spreading it out the way that we did with HIV AIDS to, to the private sector. So it is only this year that the government has recognized that they've overwhelmed their facilities by you know, centralizing what they are doing. It's only now that they've allowed that the private sector can do testing and that now even admissions can be done by the private sector. Now, you, you wanted to know about lessons. Um, the, the lessons I think that uh, we can learn is that the, the management of these pandemics require a purposeful collaboration and partnership with all stakeholders. I think that's a main lesson that was learned at Depswana, that business, government, the community have to work towards the same national goal. The second one is that the role of business in managing pandemics is complementary to that of government. And in other words, that uh, you know, we are complementary, we shouldn't be watching government do it. And by doing this in collaboration, in a collaborative fashion, the approach is more effective and productive rather than arguing about 
who should be doing what or imposing directives on business. I mean, by providing for its employees, business releases government resources to focus on provision of services for unemployed people, the informal sector who are the majority of the population. And finally, I would say that another lesson that uh, can be learned is that was learned from HIV is that communities are much more effective in changing and sustaining the types of behaviors that are required for any prevention and therefore the need to base these prevention interventions in the community. Those are the lessons, but as I've said, the nature of this epidemic means that people are still perhaps fearful to get involved. In other words, you don't get the foot soldiers that you would have got with HIV AIDS going house to house and making sure that people understand from that point of view. People are still a little bit fearful because of the way that uh, this uh, uh, virus is transmitted. Yeah, you've said a mouthful because I think the, the key really is the collaboration. The second Absolutely. is knowing what is in the space of government and what's the, what is in the space of the private sector and why. And, yes. and I think the, the second, uh, the third most important is then being able to see those pieces of infrastructure, whether they are physical or systems, that yes. can be translated from one epidemic to another ba based on lessons learned. And those that are unique mm -hmm. because every pandemic uh, in large measure because of the way it is spread speaks yes. to different challenges. HIV AIDS was intimacy mm -hmm. between two people. Uh, yes. and, and, and unless you, you were in that situation, then the risks were minimal. minimal. Uh, this yes. is just being in the public and being exposed. And so to your point, you can't exactly have people going door to door because you yourself could be introducing an element of risk. And so th that speaks to a completely different uh, infrastructure. And, and, and I think, I hope that those that work in this field are, are applying their mind to this and understanding because, you know, if science is anything to go by, we will be seeing a lot mm. of these uh, uh, pandemics. Mm. So, I mean, I'm going to press you again. Do you think uh, that the, the current uh, government, the current leadership of the Botswana is cognizant of these issues and capitalizing on them? Or are we essentially going to ground zero in, in your observation? I mean, I, I'm particularly intrigued by the lack of deployment of private doctors because I asked my doctor and she didn't have a clue. And I was quite surprised. Mm, mm, mm. I, 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 as I say, you know, because government imposed the state of emergency, mm. people responded to this in a very, ooh, what's our role now? You know, we are now being told we can't um, retrench employees, we can't do this. So people saw it from a negative perspective. But perhaps this type of epidemic, it was necessary at the beginning to have that so that government can actually impose certain regulations that perhaps on under normal circumstances they wouldn't do. Now, if you ask me whether Debswana is cognizant of this, I don't think they've given themselves, I mean, it's one thing to say, yes, it's early days, but I think they should be, pro they should be proactive because they've had the experience with uh, this 
previous epidemic of uh, HIV AIDS. They, they have the infrastructure, they've had the experience, they should be coming forward, particularly as a partner to say, this is what we can do in our hospitals. But again, as I say, for the rest of last year, it was very clear that the non-government hospitals may not do testing. If you did testing, it had to go and be checked out in the government uh, reference laboratory. So I think that in itself at the beginning may have put off the private sector that could have been willingly doing this type of work. Centralized at Sekitumile Masire, centralized at the government laboratory. Now government is letting go. I think they've realized the need for the private sector. Is Debswana taking an, an opportunity to lead in this particular area? Um, I'm out of touch, I think, at this point in time. It's not, uh, it won't be fair to say they are or they are not, but it's not obvious that they are. The contribution of DBS and Debswana is, is, is obvious. Uh, but mm-hmm. one of the things that interests me is that mining companies get pulled in, whatever the type of pandemic or whatever the issue. And yet, in my mind, I would have thought that this particular uh, public challenge sits squarely in the space of uh, pharmaceutical industries. And yet, when you listen to the public discourse, perhaps it's just because we are a big mining country and pharmaceuticals don't have a footprint. I don't hear much about the role of pharmaceuticals in leading the charge because they have a vested interest. Do you have a view on that at all? Yes, I do. I do. And I think you are quite right in saying perhaps we are a big mining company and we don't have huge pharmaceuticals here, particularly by way of manufacturing drugs. But of course, there are other mining countries that do have pharmaceuticals. First of all, I think in my view that pharmaceutical companies are not as conspicuous and visible in the work they do as mining companies are. So you cannot miss a mine. You cannot... Uh, drive around a country and miss the fact that there's a mining operation over there. So we are pretty conspicuous and hence people look up to us and they have expectations. And maybe the business of pharmaceuticals tends to thrive in times of epidemics, which does not focus their mind on the need for these types of partnerships. And I really don't know. I mean, maybe if the attitude is that the role of business is to make profit, then clearly they are not going to actually come out and do what the mining companies do. But what I want to say is that profitability and social responsibility are not mutually exclusive because the success of an organization depends on the success of the society in which it operates. And therefore one must look at long-term value for the shareholder. If business does not look at other social responsibility, the environment in which they operate may cease to be conducive to continued operation. And I think unless business gets involved with these types of uh, partnerships, the political stability that we also cherish may not be sustainable. So that's my view about pharmaceuticals, that they ought to be involved and that maybe the reason they are not involved is that they are not as conspicuous. I think you are right that the very visibility of mining companies uh, Mm. draws sometimes uh, unwanted attention. But you are also right that in in the interest of enlightened self-interest, actually any progressive company now knows 
that these kinds of investment are not just about being good. They're really about creating an environment in which they can thrive. And, and, and my sense is that uh, more and more leaders are like you uh, see this. And, and I, I think on that note, uh, I'm going to uh, bid you goodbye and thank you once again for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, I will stay in touch as I am in other areas of our mutual interest. Thank you very much for sparing the time to speak with me. Thank you very much, Ila. Have a good day.